Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of our Ecom show. And today I'm here with the founder of Devora Scratch Square. And uh, Debra is the founder uh, from the US. And this brand has been in uh, Fox, BuzzFeed, uh, Pet Age, CBS. So they have a great coverage in the press in the US. So I'm super interested in the product and in the business and how she's planning to scale. Hey, Deborah, how are you today? Good. How are you? Yeah, doing amazing. Thank you. So are you in New Jersey or are, are you from New Jersey originally? Originally New York, but I live in New Jersey now for the past 12, 13 years. And don't worry about the scratch square. It is a tongue twister. So you're not the first person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a great name. So... Let's start, you know, with, with this press coverage. So how could you achieve this? Because uh, I don't know when did you start the brand. You will tell us soon. But uh, you were, you know, in CBS, NBC, all of these big names. And I'm just really curious, like, how you could make it happen. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, we're a different type of product. So we have utility patents, which means it doesn't exist before um, I invented it uh, for my dog specifically. Um, but the Scratch Square was so different that when people started to learn about it, it got everyone's attention. So naturally, we received a lot of media coverage um, around that. Additionally, we attended um, pet expos to feature our product to show the world that we exist and we're new. And we won every award that was available to us. Um, so that also helped with the media um, we're a woman-owned business, um, so we were featured on Good Morning America uh, twice, actually, in just the two short years that the product has been available to the public. Um, so we're, we always welcome media coverage. Um, we are extremely transparent about our product, um, how we invented it, and we hope to support and inspire other uh, entrepreneurs and inventors um, by being transparent in that way. Awesome. So tell us more about this product and what problems it solved first for your own dog, right? Yeah, so it's for dogs or cats. There's two different versions under the same um, under the same patent, same utility and design. Um, and basically, they engage the pet to trim and file their own nails while they're foraging for their food. So it's a natural instinct for an animal to hunt, dig, and gather. And this is a rubber product that has a center cavity that you can fill with food or treats that the animal can both smell, hear, and um, see, you know, inside the inside the rubber cavity. And so they dig at it and it's essentially a big emery board for the pet. Um, so they're able to trim and file their own nails. So filing nails or trimming nails or cutting nails was a manual process for decades. And 
it was prone to error and trauma causing pain and discomfort for animals. Um, nobody wants their hand to be taken and metal scissors to go near it. Um, you know, we're human. So sometimes we can't see that little quick, that little nerve inside their nail and we can harm them unknowingly or unwanting to. And then that creates a little atom in their brain that rec rep the, that goes back and the smell of metal can trigger an animal to get nervous um, or that hearing of a nail clipper. I know when I go to take a nail clipper to my own nail, my dog gets very anxious because he, he's afraid I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. Which is kind of cute. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just solves the problem. Um, it makes it uh, effortless to have the animal trim their own nails and they become healthy. Um, it supports their overall health um, and their animal instincts. So they are fulfilled mentally, physically, getting exercise, and it prevents long-term illness like degenerative joint disease, arthritis, hip dysplasia from overgrown, unmaintained uh, nails and hygiene of the pet. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, my mother did it for me as well, and I really hated those days. <laughs> So, yeah, exactly. Like even children, they don't like it either. Yeah. What happens? So beginner question. What happens if you don't trim the nails of dogs and animals? Then? Yeah, um, the nail bed can actually become infected. It can rotate around the nail and pierce into the skin. Um, that's where the infection would occur. Um, it also prevents them from walking properly, like their stride, just like humans walk. Um, it prevents their stride. Um, so that can lead to pain while we're while walking um, and then they just don't want to walk as much so then they lose mobility um, then you end up with the hip dysplasia the arthritis from not moving as they properly should so we know that dogs tend to age around 8 to 12 years old some up to 17 years old um, but we can give them a better life by just doing our daily routine with their hygiene and uh, wild animals like wolves or, or, or wild cats, they uh, scratch, you know, enough that they don't have to trim their nails or? Exactly. It's a, it's a phenomenon in that way. So before we domesticated our pets, um, animals in the wild like wolves, when they're babies, they would hunt, dig and gather. Um, they have their front claws essentially for their prey um, to make them homes and safety nets and, and, the, and therefore. Um, when the animal scratches on the surface of the scratch square or like rocks, essentially, they start to cap their quick, that little vein, before it develops. Um, mm -hmm. So then that recedes the growth and recedes the maintenance of the nail. Now that we've domesticated our pets, they don't have those opportunities. So their quick, as we clip their nail, just keeps on growing out and it overgrows. And that's where we're seeing all the, the illness because they don't they don't have the ability to cap their quick when they're when they're young and the in their in their environment before so mm -hmm. now that's what the goal of scratchware is is being in every household um being with every pet from all ages but specifically we would like to start when they're adolescents when they're um, babies mm -hmm. and we want to give them the opportunity to cap their quick recede those and reduce the maintenance in the long run yeah, yeah. so dogs and cats right these two are the main uh, main targets let's say Correct, but we're also zoology approved. So you can find us in zoos with uh, African servals or tigers. We we have wow. some sizes now that are available to the larger animals that are also caged, um, yeah. so to say, so that okay. their health and wellness can be, um, can be uh, you know, they can have that, uh, that option as well. Yeah, yeah. So you solve this problem for your own pet first and then 
you could see this works very well. What happened after? When did you when did you make a business out of it? Yeah, so um, I invented this as I was a marketing director in the casino industry, um, and I invented it just for my own pet. And then um, I was laid off essentially, and I casted for Shark Tank just as a whim. You know, who everybody says, "Oh, this is a great Shark Tank product." And the casting director um, saw the prototype in the video, and they were they just looked at me and they were like, "This is a slam dunk. I need this, and the world needs this." And I was like, okay, I'll give me six months to a year and the world will have it. Um, unfortunately, COVID did occur during that time that I was going through research and development. And right when I um, received, you know, the funding, the loan that I had pl applied for to go into mass production, the world shut down, but it didn't stop us. Um, as soon as things reopened, we launched officially in 2021 and were able to come to scale. Amazing. So... Yeah, continue the story now. I'm really excited. What happened after? <laughs> yeah, so 2021, um, we went to the pet expos like Super Zoo and Global. Um, that's when we started to really get noticed um, as changing the world of pets and pet products. Um, we were labeled as a game changer. Um, the the second generation founder of Coastal Pets, which is Safari, um, the groomers and the trimmers, um, she came up to me and she was like, I just want to meet the person that changed the pet industry. So that was overwhelming. Um, getting that much feedback from people that are educated and have been in the industry for so much time that I highly respect um, was amazing. So it just uh, it made me feel like I was on the right track. So yeah. from that point, um, it was really just grassroots marketing. Um, we went to every event um, possible just to let people know we exist, explained it. Um, we have a strong connection with the veterinarian community, um, with their continual educational programs. So we were able to introduce it that way. I have a philanthropic, philan I can't even say that word, but a very donation giving background. Um, and so I wanted to connect with shelter services for um, shelters. As you know, my dog was a shelter animal. Um, so just to hand our flyers out in adoption, provide our flyers to be handed out in adoption folders to really strengthen that bond between pets and people. Because the shelter animals, essentially, we don't know what happened to them previously and what their issues might be. So my goal was really to, stre to strengthen those bonds and relationships. So we just pretty much went grassroots on it. From that point, um, we changed our packaging. Uh, we Our original packaging was more of a drawing and a theory. So now we've used uh, real dogs that actually use our products, um, which was a very exciting change. That just came in the beginning of this year. Um, we also put QR codes so people can see our products in use and understand it better. Um, and we put step six to share your pet on social media. Um, playing with the toy and your feedback. And we've received over 17 million views of our product um, wow. without any marketing, but just really asking our consumers to be honest and to do what they love and share their pets um, as we've shared ours. So. so how did you do it? You mean it's related to the QR code or? or so yeah. um, I don't know if you could pop it up, but on the packaging, there is a QR code and those are videos that we've taken um, or videos that were sent to us of the animals engaging because it is their natural instinct. So it shows people how and then underneath on the back card of the packaging. So when you open it, you get like a quick start guide 
and it tells you reward the scratches initially to teach the dog that it's okay to scratch because usually we're yelling at them saying don't do that so yeah. it's just a quick start guide and step six to that is follow and tag us on social media so people are just following and tagging us on social yeah. media and posting their dogs playing with the product yeah that's super smart and uh i know if I'm not mistaken, you don't run ads. So ads is not the main driver for you, as far as I know. Uh, and you seem to have a lot of relationships in the industry and different parts of this, you know, the pet industry, like vets, shelters, uh, you go to events, conferences, expos. So that's very interesting to see uh, because I think many of our listeners, they think about ads, especially Meta and Google, you know, typical e-commerce business owners, founders, that's how they think, but you think very differently. And uh, honestly, I prefer that because I think it's much more, you know, your business becomes much more established and, and stable. And you just, you, you know, you just don't rely on some algorithms of Meta and Google, which mm -hmm. makes you very vulnerable. So, yeah, and you have a very strong word of mouth. You said 17 million views on social? 17 million views on social. I think there's like 11, Just there's just particular people that post. Uh, one girl received 11 million views on Instagram from our product. Oh. Um, oh. It was beautiful. So with that, when you talk about algorithms and Googles and the ads, so you have to understand when people are searching my products, then they're searching Devora. Um, they're searching Devorah Scratchware. The algorithms are already working. That's Google's job. I don't have to spend money for that. So those those algorithms are happening um, on their own. I'm spending money to go to the conferences, the events. That's because my heart is in the relationships that I meet with others. Um, I didn't create Devorah Scratchware for financial gain. I created it because I had a need. I solved it and I knew how many other families can be enriched by something so simple as a reaction of a dog jumping on you when you go to walk into a house and you pushing that dog away in pain because they've now ripped your clothes or, or cut your skin um, to a meshed uh, agreement of a dog being happy to see you and you being happy to see the dog. So the action wasn't correlating. So that was my goal. Um, we've all the money that i've made has gone back into the company um so we now we have a headquarters we have an office that's in new jersey and a warehouse and all that stuff but the whole point is the algorithms and the the word of mouth it's going to build itself um so i don't want to say like i'm against google ads or i'm against facebook meta ads i just don't think that for me personally they were my primary source um, maybe in the future I will run some, but at this time, um, building it from the grassroots, getting my hands dirty has been great. It's been a great experience. Yeah, maybe at some point it, that will be your next best thing to do. But I think, uh, yeah, if you think about this, then uh, I think organic is uh, getting a better opportunity recently because the price is going, you know, has been going up in uh, online advertising in general. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's a great thing that you've been doing. Um, and I know you are also in many different stores. So can you tell us about more H hundreds of stores? Am I, am I correct? Yeah, about 268 locations uh, right now 
from uh, Ace Hardwares. Um, we do very well in franchise-owned Ace Hardwares. Um, Hallmark gift stores, um, local pet boutiques, veterinarian offices. Um, we pretty much are to scale everywhere. Um, we support uh, dog trainers. So if there's a community uh, dog trainer that has a large following and they would like to wholesale our products, we will do that. The only thing we don't support is online retailers. Um, we are available on Amazon through our own distribution channels. Um, and we're also available on Chewy.com for obvious reasons. We require that a store has a brick and mortar store where the customer can actually go pick up the product if they're going to sell it online. Um, and that just goes back to our values of kindness, love, community. Um, we are essentially an online retailer before we opened our office. Um, so we just didn't want to flood the market in that way. So you do have to become an authorized retailer to sell our products. It just strengthens the bonds in those communities. And then if you're a veterinarian, if you're a shelter, if you're a dog walker, if you have a dog school, um, we pretty much support it being um, sold anywhere where dogs are the primary uh, component <laughs> to the yeah. relationship. Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. And you are not only in the US, right? How ma- in how many countries do you sell the product? So currently we sell in Canada. We're a pet value in Canada. Um, we're in a couple of smaller locations in Canada and we now are shipping directly to Canada. Um, we've worked out um, the trade rate. So we're a, a registered business in Canada now. So that's been great. It's been my goal to expand internationally. That's what I've been working on every day um, in the recent time. We're also in Australia and we're looking forward to our relationship in Australia and New Zealand. So we're currently in the works of cultivating those relationships. Um, mm-hmm. But we do ship direct. It's still a little expensive. So we're trying to really reduce that price for our consumers. Also, UK, um, Norway, um, we are, we're growing around the world fairly quickly. Um, I'm just trying to do the best to be a good servant um, and ensure that those prices are complement to the consumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now um, I'm just curious how you could nurture and, and at, at all, how, how did you find these relationships? Because I think many e-commerce business owners, they struggle with it or, uh, you know, I can see many introverted people uh, as founders um, and they, they don't want to do it or they struggle with it to find these relationships. They just prefer, you know, running the ads in front of their computer all day which is, I mean, everyone is different. Everyone has different uh, strengths. Um, but still, I'm curious, how did you find those relationships? Was it easy from day one or, or, or not at all? I don't think anything about starting your own business is easy. <laughs> um, yeah. But it has been very rewarding in that way. Um, I have a master's degree in business, and I was able to study abroad while I lived in Europe. Um, so operations and um, international operations has been a thing for me. Like we're in my home office right now and behind me is the world. Um, yeah. I look at the world as one unit um, with people. And so um, it's just been the authenticness of myself and what my desires are. Um, I don't think just the U.S. is one 
you know, is one area I look at. We are a whole world. So um, some uh, retailers have come to me and say, we would really like to, you know, sell your product in uh, France. And my goal is, okay, how do I get that to you? How do I do that? So it just becomes that partner and that relationship. And those actually drive the direction of my company. Um, I'm like, there's a lot of uh, e-commerce where they're doing it to sell, to make money. They're, they're doing this to make money. I'm not that e-commerce person. I'm doing this to share value. Um, and that's what I think separates me from other e-commerce. Um, I let the community dictate my actions. Um, I just find the strategies and work to get to accomplish them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so. Your mindset is a big help, right? Because uh, and how you approach this whole thing, and uh, I think that's you know many many people they don't think like this. So and and they they think in boxes or countries like U.S. market and then U.K. market, Australian market, and uh, let's enter the next one and how it's different than the other. So yeah, it's a bit different mindset. Well, you have to do that too. So um, for example, like when you, you have to look at the gross capita, the GDP of different environments, can they mm -hmm. afford your product for what it's selling at, what those margins are. So there is a lot of financial structure in mm -hmm. the back of my brain. That's yeah. why I, say I, I let the consumers um, make my decisions, but I also have to do that research to make sure it makes sense mm -hmm. before yeah. I move forward. So, I mean, There's there's different markets, yes, and you, it would I would not be a professional if I didn't uh, look into those. Um, but those aren't the deciding factors for everything. Yeah, and when you go to a conference or an, you know, let's say an event, then uh, do you calculate an ROI on this, or you don't really do that? How, um, also, I do. So how do you decide what event to go to? So. <laughs> It's hard to do. So sometimes, like I keep on saying the word relationship, and it's really important, actually. I've gone to conferences that I've spent five to $10,000 to attend between flights, uh, booth space, uh, hoteling, um, labor charges, it, it, decor. It's been extremely expensive. And I've walked out only selling about $7,000. So one would think, oh, my God, I'm at a loss. Um, this was very expensive for me. Um, and it can be um, overwhelming, like, you know, you can really question your business structure. And then you get an account for $180,000. And it happens just like that from yeah. someone you met. And sometimes the largest deals are the ones that take the longest to work out. And that's okay. Um, so finances, you have to be, you have to know how to pick them, essentially, the events that you go to. And you have to be open to work with others um, to be fruitful at them. Um, sometimes the way that you look at something might not be the way that it's done normally um, in a business structure. And I've learned that a lot, um, that it's okay to adjust slightly, um, but still keep your direction. Yeah, what I found is that uh, because actually this year I went to quite many events and uh, I, I tried to calculate an ROI on them, you know, at least let's say when I, when I, when when it's break even for me and uh, actually if i go to like three four conferences and we close one new client then i'm at break even so and okay. i think i think that's a good good number so i don't have to find clients at every single event it's 
I can be more laid back and, you know, play more long term, actually. Exactly. But what I found is when you start out with your business and your snowball is too, it's very small, let's say, so nobody knows you, you have to, you know, reach out to new people all the time. Then it's really hard to see an ROI and a two, three thousand conference ticket or sometimes even more. But when you are bigger and people, they come to you, then it's so much easier to, you know, they want to work with you and you have to reject them and, and you buy a two, three thousand conference ticket and, and you find clients so easily. At least I'm in the agency space, so a bit different, but uh, probably the same in any business that the more time you spend in the industry, the easier it gets. And the ROI just becomes bigger on every single conference. Essentially, um, you can kind of grow out of conferences if you're large enough, because there was a time where I couldn't manufacture enough to support the mm -hmm. people that wanted to purchase our products. Mm -hmm. um, so you do have to say no to people when they come to you, but you can still go to those events and try to find the right fit. Not everybody is the right fit for you, right? You know, if service yeah. or product. Um, so that's important to understand. Uh, some conferences that we go to, um, like a gift show, people are looking for clothing or a museum is looking for artifacts and art or scarves. Mm -hmm. um, we're not their customer and you have to know that going in. So the ROI is definitely relative. Break even is super important. Um, I've gone to, I want to say in the past two years, about 200 events, um, uh, quite a bit between business to business and business to consumer. And there was only one event that I didn't break even. Um, but we say as long as we break even and we hand out our content to people, like we let people, people know that we exist, that we've won, essentially. So um, those might dictate future sales. Yeah. You went to 200 events yourself? I believe, yeah. It's been something like that. I, I do have a, a Marriott Bond Voyage Titanium uh, <laughs> holdings for my card. Um, I've been to wow. a lot of events. It, didn't, it doesn't matter if it was a a fair or um, uh, Irish festival or um, mm -hmm. a big uh, business to business show in Chicago at Inspire. Like it, I just, I like people. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, I, I have to ask this question because, you know, our listeners, they know my, my agency and what I do. So how do you see the role of email marketing and, and emails, maybe even SMS marketing? How much do you use these and, how do you see that marketing channel? So we've actually, I've, I've failed there, essentially. Um, email marketing is really important. Um, we have not, we're actually working on that right now. We have an initiative going on to get our email marketing back. We have about 20,000 buyers that we don't market at all. Um, so mm -hmm. we're kind of just leaving that open. And that's a huge miss for repeat customers. 80% of our customers um, are already repeat customers, which is great. Um, yeah. I just learned that number the other day without doing email marketing. Um, so that's another thing we do put our uh, website is right embedded on our product. So people can never lose us. We're also trademarked. So Devorah, if you Google it, you will find us or you will find stores that we are located at. Um, so we've done that in the background, but we haven't really, we haven't chased anything yet, so to say. Um, so we are currently working on a strategy for creating email marketing without overflowing the customers um, with too much information. Mm -hmm. um, and with that regard, as we're doing more of a um, pet parent support 
than actually trying to sell our products. Um, so where our email marketing is actually information that's helpful with a backlay of our products and they're available and do you need more or do you need to replace something like that? Um, so we're taking a little bit of a different step and different approach on that. Yeah, and uh, do you know what email platform are you gonna use or you already have one? Registered? We use Clavio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clavio is pretty good. Um, I haven't had time to research. Uh, Privy is also um, one that I like. I haven't really yeah. had time to look too much into it. We're just really um, making sure we have all the data appropriate because um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people there that we just yeah. need to make sure we there have many tools as well for email it's incredibly crowded i think yes and uh yeah i'm just always amazed how clavio could grow so big because before them it was already a crowded space like mailchimp active campaign hubspot a lot of different tools and uh clavio is i think they are going to the stock exchange this year they mm -hmm. will have the ipo um so. what is it uh MailChimp was horrible. They were just hard to deal with. They were expensive. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I don't want to talk negative about any business, but Clavio has been really user-friendly. Um, they've, mm -hmm. there's customer service. I had questions because I'm not in, I'm not a big tech person. I did build my own website and I do do all this stuff, but I'm learning as I go. So um, they have a great support system. Shopify is a great um, support system as well for actually using their products. So that in itself, I, I think, has uh, supported their growth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my last question, I, I think, uh, or I know that your product is internationally pat patented. So it's a, it's a new invention. And uh, what would you tell to those e-commerce entrepreneurs or inventors who have a product that is is brand new they invented it and you know nowadays it's not easy to protect your uh, your product there are many copycats out there so what you what would you tell them as a piece of advice what should they do so legal it's actually inspired me i've always had um legal attributes in my um just in my makeup and who i am um mm -hmm. i've done some really fun legal things um with representation. Um, I'm actually pursuing uh, my doctorates in judicial. Um, so uh, it's hard to protect yourself. We're going through something right now. Someone has copied Scratch Square, um, has virtually copied the invention. They're currently being sold on Amazon. Um, we are battling that right now. They've cost us thousands of uh, sales um, because they are selling the product fulfilled by Amazon for $17. Um, it's made out of wood. It's not pet safe. It's not durable. You'll have to buy like 10 of them to equivalent one of my scratch squares. Um, we obviously, Devora is a, a far uh, superior product. Um, consumers will learn that in time. If you are a good product, you are likely going to be knocked off. Louis Vuitton is knocked off. Granted, we don't sell scratch squares for $5,000 a piece. Um, so it's harder to maintain. But um, if you're a good product, take it as a compliment. Um, you will be knocked off. Just when you do develop a product, um, stand behind it. Um, do everything you can to make it as best as you can. And in time, essentially, um, with, with legal, it does take about eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks, give or take. But those products will disseminate. Um, you have to stay vigilant. 
um, and no, so that way you can issue cease and desist. Um, and it, it's hard, but uh, it, there's, you got to look at it this way. There's more than one of everything in this world. Um, what makes Nike better than, you know, a t-shirt when they're made at the same manufacturer, there's the Nike label. So trademarking is really important. Becoming a brand name is really important. And know that you're doing something right when someone copies you. Just know, ha have the strength to fight them, um, essentially. That's the best advice I can give. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, by time, as I said earlier, you are building this snowball, right? You are building relationships and you build trust towards your customers and it adds up. And besides the legal things, that's the other thing that nobody else can copy. You went to hundreds of conferences, built those relationships, and that, uh, that other guy who copied your product, that person didn't do that. So that's also a huge advantage. And yeah, and they're also using my name, though. You know, So they're using a Scratch Square, and that's sad. Mm -hmm. And their algorithms are picking them up, and people hear about Scratch Square, and they Google it, and they see this product, and, and then... Yeah. I mean, they can't Google it, I should say. They look at for it on Amazon. Amazon is the only people. Be careful of Amazon. They're a great network with a huge reach. Um, however, they don't always have your best interest as a, a brand on Amazon. They have Amazon's best interest um, because they yeah. do make quite a bit of money when they fulfill by Amazon. So they house it, they store it, and they ship it. Um, and then they have the Amazon premiums to sell it. So even though the Scratch Square is being sold by someone else, um, Amazon is making a lot of money on that, um, which we do plan on going after. So uh, the more and more units that sell in the long run becomes financially more and more money mm -hmm. for because it is mine. Um, so to say, as long as everything works out, we'll see. Yeah, to be deterred. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, so Deborah, thanks a lot for uh, coming here today, sharing your story. And I wish you great success with your brand, with your product. And uh, what's the website if anyone wants to order from your store? Yeah, it's devora.us. So D-E-V-O-R-A.us. Or you can always follow us on social media. And it's at Devora Community. Everything we do is a community. Or on Instagram at Scratch Square. And you can see um, everybody's videos of their dogs. Amazing. I will put the links into the description so our listeners can find it. And thanks again, everyone who listened to us today or in the future, the podcast. I will put one more link into the description, which is our top 100 email templates. So my agency, we sent out almost a half a billion emails so far, and we collected the top 100, and now we share it with our audience for free. So check that link out as well. And thanks again, everyone, and I wish you a great day. Thank you.